Hey everyone, welcome to the Mobility Minute podcast. I'm your host, Drew Martin. Uh, today we have a really special show with Kevin Bruley, who is a physical therapist and PhD uh, from Georgia. And his story is very interesting. He has this background in education and clinical practice, but recently had his own battle with blood clots. I think his story is something that we can all take something from um, and learn a little bit about what the risk factors are for DVT and how mobility kind of ties in to this whole story. I want to thank Kevin for his time and his openness with this story um, to be able to help those who might be in a similar situation to his. So with that, we'll get into the story and get into what happened in the events leading up to his pulmonary embolism in 2019. Enjoy. I could not get enough air. I laid there for five or ten minutes just struggling and decided I've got to get up. This this is getting worse. Both your pulmonary arteries are blocked. And I, res- I remember responding to him saying, that's impossible, I'm still alive. Kevin Bruley's clinical background as a physical therapist began at Mayo Clinic in Jacksonville, Florida in the 1990s. As a young professional, he was always questioning norms at his hospital, a trait that eventually led him towards a path in research and academia later in his career. One of his early observations as a clinician was the hands-off approach to patients diagnosed with deep vein thrombosis, or DVT. The norm at the time was to keep DVT patients in bed and discourage movement at any level in order to let the body heal. Now, Kevin knew through his training that this physiologically didn't make any sense and began to look into this seemingly widespread problem. Along with other doctors at his hospital and his medical director at the time, he put together an informal clinical practice guideline at his hospital to address this. Since then, Bruley has gone on to receive his PhD in education and is responsible for starting physical therapy programs at numerous academic institutions. His combined experience as a clinician and educator came full circle with his own personal battle with blood clots in 2019. Bruley describes the sense of anxiety he felt in the days leading up to his eventual diagnosis. It was alarming. Um, it was in the winter time. It was January, you know, right after Christmas break. And I had been somewhat sedentary, but I wouldn't say I was sedentary. I was, you know, typical Christmas break watching football, you know. I remember uh, laying on the couch, you know, watching a couple of games one day, playoff games back to back and thinking, man, this is the least I've walked in in any day in my life, I think, you know, and that's probably very possibly where I contracted it, but who knows. Leading up to that incident that day, uh, for about two or three days before, I do recall having some calf irritation. I wouldn't say pain, but it was like a, like an Achilles tendon strain. That's what it felt like. And I remember having some shortness of breath and nausea, but that's about all I remember. Um, my, my wife was giving me a honeydew list one time on, uh, on Saturday. I remember that. And uh, she noticed that I was breathing heavy. 
And she said, do you, know, do you need to go to the doctor? And I said, no, no, I don't think I need to go to the doctor. But at that point, I recognized I was breathing heavier than I normally do. And even that day, I remember uh, pulling up the Wells criteria for the DVT and scoring myself and finding out that, I, you know, I didn't, I didn't meet the, uh, the threshold of, of a DVT being likely, but I, it did cross my mind. So that was a Saturday on Tuesday morning, driving to work, I started to have a real heavy, unproductive cough. And it was not the light pollen, asthmatic, you know, allergy kind of cough. This was a cough where you're trying to cough something up, but I wasn't able to. And this was on my way to work at 7 a.m. And as I came into the office that morning, uh, I had about a Oh, maybe a hundred yard walk from my vehicle to the, to my office. And I just remember what a challenge it was to take that walk. That must've been such an overwhelming feeling. What were some of the symptoms that you were experiencing at that time? And what did you think that it could have been? Sweating profusely. And, uh, I could hear myself obviously breathing heavily and, and, uh, wheezing with the breathing and I thought, you dummy, you've let yourself get pneumonia from laying around watching football. That's wow. exactly what I thought. So I went out and sought out one of the faculty members and asked them if they could get me a thermometer to take my temperature and I took my temperature and it was normal. So I'm like, okay, something else going on. So I went and laid down for a few minutes and almost immediately after I laid down, I, I could not get enough air. I laid there for five or 10 minutes, just struggling and decide I've got to get up. This is, this is getting worse. And I got up and uh, asked the, went to the faculty member again and said, can you get me a pulse oximeter? And they did and went and got me one, and, but the battery was dead. So I said, I, I don't feel well. I think I need to ride over to the emergency department. And probably the best decision I made, uh, I stumbled into the emergency department and they quickly brought me back and diagnosed me with a DVT and a PE. Thank you for sharing that story. I think it really shows that this could happen to anyone. I, I guess when they told you that, obviously you were probably surprised, but um, with your background and kind of understanding, you know, what that meant, uh, what was the first thing that, that went through your head there? It's, it's actually comical now that I think about it, but my first response to the doc when he told me you have a, a pulmonary embolism, I said, I can't have a PE. And he said, why? I said, because I haven't felt anything. I haven't, I haven't experienced any of the symptoms. He goes, and he started going through the symptoms. And I'm like, okay, yeah, you're right. I do. <laughs> and, uh, and then when, and about that time, the, uh, the, the spiral CT results came back and it confirmed a saddle pulmonary embolism. And he said, by the way, it is a saddle pulmonary embolism. Both your pulmonary arteries are blocked. And I, res I remember responding to him saying, that's impossible. I'm still alive. And he said, I know. <laughs> so he said, but what we've got to do is make sure that we get you, get you the right care. And uh, I remember at that point, the, uh, the respiratory therapist in the room said they had exhausted all their options. And the next option was a ventilator. And this was a very busy time in the hospital. Uh, COVID wasn't there yet, but for some reason there was there were a lot of ventilators in use at the time and that date. And she said they had one clean ventilator in the hospital and that she was going to take that with me to my treatment um, room so that in case I needed it, I would have it available. 
So it was very surprising and it really took me back. Yeah, I'm sure that's a really scary situation to come out of. Um, And how did you start to look at your rehab? And it seems like you almost became a research subject of your own um, in a way. Can you kind of outline how that process all went down? Basically, I used myself as a research subject, but it's it's not really my intention when I did it. It was more of, I understand what's going on, and I'm going to make myself better sooner. So I am not going to allow myself to lay in bed for days and then try to get better. I am going to work through this, and I'm going to uh, make sure that I stay the best that I can be and not have some kind of long-term disability or problem as a result of this. What I saw in the hospital and what really made me want to learn more about mobility and particularly mobility after blood clots was the fact that how debilitating bed rest is. Just seeing anyone, you know, after surgery, after injury, after illness, after any condition, Uh, You know, after a day or two in bed, it was requiring more than a day or two to get them back on their feet. And particularly that ICU acquired weakness, you know, that that was multiplying the number of days it was requiring to get people back on their feet. I'd I'd had enough uh, experience in my personal life, um, in my professional life, I should say, uh, that when this, uh, you know, this hit me in my personal life, it gave me a, a new understanding and a new appreciation that I could draw back on that. So, First of all, I'm glad you're able to recover from this situation and you're able to kind of take what you've learned from that situation and bring it straight into your research. I think that's very telling to how personal this got for you. Um, how did you take what had happened to you and bring it into your research And can you talk a little bit from your physical therapy background of why uh, these milestones, these mobility milestones and getting up out of bed is so important? The reason that we don't want people lying all the time is the, the pulmonary, alveolar and gas exchange. But just as important is the fact that when you're upright, your heart has to work against gravity. So it's giving your body more of a challenge to push that blood up to your head and keep your brain perfused and and the rest of your body. So it's it's actually a therapeutic effect to get a patient from lying to sitting you know, even even the smallest amount of upright puts a tax on the heart and allows the heart to have to, you know, work harder in order to maintain that equilibrium. And that's why, you know, when we faint, we fall. And that's that's a, a safety mechanism so that we continue to get blood to our brain. Because if, if we stopped moving and never went down, then, you know, potentially we would not get blood to our brain. And if you lose blood to your brain, it doesn't take long at all for brain death to occur there. And and, um, thoughts of my rehabilitation revolved around the, uh, the rehabilitation of my own physiological self to build my strength back and to combat the the uh, effects of lying in a bed in in intensive care for two days, 
when I could not move because that uh, ecosystem catheter was in my was in my venous system through my heart and into my lungs, and so I couldn't move around because that was all attached to a pump that was basically saving my life to break the clot. So all I could do was lie on my back. So I could do isometric exercises with my other leg and my arms and my my core and things like that, but I couldn't get up. So that was the one thing that I really wanted to do was get up out of that bed and test my system and make sure that I was, uh, you know, moving and maintaining what I had so I didn't lose any more and, and then focus on gaining that strength back. So right. I, I kept I kept the you know the readings that I knew in my mind that I wanted to keep myself oxygenated, which to me was a ninety uh, percent or above. So I made sure that I maintained that uh, that I didn't want to make myself too um, too fatigued or push myself to a limit where it would cause me any difficulty. So I limited it to any exercise that would, if I would get to a, a position of where I felt like I was going too high in exertion using the Borg scale, then I, I backed off. And, and I remember there were a couple of instances where um, I, I pushed myself a little too hard and got a little chest pain as a matter of fact and then I had to back off there but I I did very short bouts of activity uh, I remembered again what I had looked up you know in my days as a clinician that as long as I'm anti anticoagulated that clot is attached to the endothelial wall it's it's not going to propagate and it's not likely to move and if it's going to move I'm in the right place for it to happen so I made myself get up out of bed almost immediately when I got to that hospital room and they had removed that, that uh, cannula from my leg and, um, and just started myself going through short bouts of exercise to my level of tolerance until I, until I got home and then I continued it. Yeah. And that's the important thing is continuing it, right? Um, continuing that exercise and continuing to, to progress uh, in your mobility is important for recovery. Um, what do you think are some of the common misconceptions about DVTs and pulmonary embolism that you might have had before uh, it happened to you? Well, first of all, it couldn't happen to me. I was in that. You know, I, I denied it. And as I said, I... I it crossed my mind. I've been, you know, a physical therapist for close to 30 years and I've, I've caught patients that had DVTs and got them help and, you know, potentially saved them from having a PE. But I was, for whatever reason, I, I, I decided it didn't happen to me or couldn't happen to me. So I think that's probably one of the things is, um, you know, be, be in tune and make sure that you're paying attention. Um, I think I think another one is that it requires, you know, a lot of risk factors when really, in fact, it doesn't. You know, blood clots happen to everybody every day. Even healthy people uh, throw pulmonary emboli, but they're microscopic into their lungs. And it's when they start getting larger is when the problem occurs. So it, it, it does happen to everyone. Um, I think the biggest misconception I had before I started doing any research was that a DVT was a, you know, in my mind, it was a small thing. It was a, you know, the size of a dime or something like that. But DVTs really, when they 
when they break and they pull and they flow into the pulmonary vasculature, the really dangerous ones are really long, like feet and inches long. So the one that that uh, uh, we believe that I threw went from the length of my knee to my hip, and I'm six feet tall. So that's you know. 20, 24 inches long, and this is a blood clot, you know, probably the size of a pencil or larger. So that's a lot of solid material to go up into your lungs and just start balling up, and that's what shuts off your blood flow. So, you know, the, the, the misconception of it being a small amount is not true, because when I came to the hospital, I still had the remainder of the clot from my knee to my ankle. And that, uh, you know, that kind of gave me the confirmation that this was a this was a big caliber clot that started from my knee and went to wherever it ended. Most of my um, reading has taught me that DVTs don't occur to people that move, period. So it's just not likely. If you're up and moving around regularly, you're probably not going to get a DVT and thus you're not going to get a pulmonary embolism. So that was the first thing in my mind is I'm getting out of this bed. You know, even though I knew I was anticoagulated, um, that it was not going to grow, I just knew that I wanted to get up and I didn't want to have the the effects of immobility, you know, jump on me and, and have a long rehab because I needed to get back to doing what I want to do. I just have too many things to do to not to not be healthy. Wow. I think those are some powerful messages and maybe some things that people don't consider when they think about DVTs and PEs. So thanks for sharing those. Um, I also want to get your thoughts as a physical therapist uh, and someone that's been in the hospital. What are the best ways to motivate a patient to be mobile uh, from your perspective? I mean, someone in the hospital, it's obviously, you know, you have to weigh the risks and benefits of getting them up, you know, what's their condition and what's occurring. But for someone who doesn't have active pathology at the time, it really is a mindset. It's a, it's, it's, you know, I need to, I need to be getting up and moving. And I don't know how many people have an Apple watch, but I got one about six months ago and it gives me uh, my score at the end of the day of how many times I've been up on my feet and how much movement I've made and how much exercise. I've had, and it's a really good reminder uh, to tell myself, you know, hey, you met your goals today, or you didn't meet your goals today, and tomorrow you got to do better. So, what we sow today, we reap tomorrow, uh, not only in the vegetable market, but also in our health. So, you know, that's what I try to teach my patients is that, you know, your lifestyle today is what what you're going to be looking back on 10 and 20 and 30 years from now saying, I wish I should have done it or could have done it differently. Um, So, you know, adopting an up and add and and moving lifestyle is is certainly something that we would want everyone to adopt that's possible, that is able to do it. That's very true and and something that we want to encourage people to continue to do with this podcast. So thank you again for your research um, and your time today. I think it's a good reminder that even people who know the risk factors of DVT and immobility are still at risk. Um, So thank you for documenting that and making it a part of your research. My whole whole thought in publishing it was if, if I can save one person out there, that recognizes it and goes and gets treatment and doesn't have to go through what I did, then it's been, the the effort was worth it. Right. 
Well, thank you for your work. Uh, thanks for joining us today on the Mobility Minute podcast. Uh, uh, we appreciate your, your time and, and talking with us today. Thank you very much. The Mobility Minute Podcast, brought to you by Recovery Force Health.